0: guys. Happy Monday. Welcome back to the Wellness Wake Up. We are so happy you're here. Hi, Karen. Hello. Good morning. Happy Monday. Good morning. Should we jump into it with our magic moments before we get into our topic? Oh, yeah.
1: I would love that. I was thinking about this this morning as I was packing up for a little trip we're taking and my magic moment for probably the first time and hopefully the last time is actually in items <laughs> <laughs> i've recently invested in like all new travel gear suitcases and like the um so toiletry fun. bags and things for my cords and jewelry and i just feel like super organized and oh my gosh it is <laughs> such a different travel experience to have like packing cubes and i feel like everyone naturally organized people like get it yeah, yeah. But, like, you know, my type Z self, like, (laughs) it's usually a suitcase explosion. And I'm really working on that part of my personality. And so this is like, very exciting for me. So that was my magic
0: moment. We always talk about how cleaning up your space can make such a difference in the food choices you make. So I guess cleaning up your travel space can make a difference as well.
1: Totally. It's like makes you feel organized and I think ready to go and like you know where things are and all of that. So yeah, if you have travel ahead, it might be nice to have some things that you also like the way they look too.
0: Yep. It can make <laughs> Time a to upgrade.
1: Yeah. What about you? It was your magic moments.
0: I feel like my magic moments are always me being at home, but this one is also I was home again last weekend in Chicago for the weekend. And it was actually my dad's 60th birthday and we threw him a surprise party at our uh-huh. house. So he didn't even know that me and Elliot were in town. And on Saturday, it's actually really funny We to get him out of the house. We told him he was going to a golf lesson with my brother-in-law and my dad hates golf. <laughs> like he does not understand it. We all keep joking, like you're going to retire soon. You need to pick up a hobby. So they went to a golf lesson. And when he got back, it was 25 people at the house and we had like a little dinner party. Oh. And he was very surprised, even though I don't know why, because my mom Ruined the surprise like six times and he just didn't catch up on it. So uh, it was very nice though. He was totally surprised and happy and we were all together and it was a great way to celebrate.
1: That's the sweetest. I love your fam.
0: It was was really, really good. And how you guys spend a lot of time together for living in different places. (laughs) (laughs) I saw my parents last month three of the four weekends, which is just I was home twice and they were here once. So yeah, definitely not that far away, but it was really
1: great. Okay, should we get into it? Yeah. So today we are going to be talking about the way diet culture affected us growing up with SlimFast, Weight Watchers, all of that. Really, on every single magazine, every single TV commercial, or every like set of commercials, there would always be something around like eat less or eat this or do this in order to have this type of body.
0: Totally. And we did an episode last season, actually our last episode of last season, and we basically addressed like is this diet culture or not? But we thought it would be really helpful to actually zoom back and look at why does diet culture matter? Why is this something that everyone's talking about? How has it affected us? And the truth is we just see diet culture everywhere. It's in all forms of media. It's in the workplace. You go to a doctor's office and you sit down and it's at the magazine or it's actually the way your doctor is giving you advice. Mm, Um, We see it in stores and grocery stores and we're just bombarded. And actually I even missed out on social media today. We are (laughs) bombarded by these harmful messages created by the diet industry. And if you think about it, like there's so many diets that are even like household names, like Weight Watchers or WW as they would like to go by (laughs) these days. There's Paleo, there's Keto, there's Atkins, there's Slim Fast. And diet culture is just really a business, right? It's a $71 billion industry. So it is everywhere. And the messaging really affects the way we kind of view ourselves in the way we view beauty in the way we view health and it's created a lot of harmful messaging and that's why there's so much backlash to it today but we want to go into what some of that messaging has been and how that's affected us and how we maintain that yeah and
1: it's just it's oh it's just so interesting the way that we think you and I probably experience that like everybody's anti diet culture but I think what's actually true like when I scroll through TikTok I don't have an, like an algorithm there yet as we've talked about in our <laughs> actually one of our most recent episodes on TikTok trends but I'll get things that are like super diet culturey and I know that there can be rabbit holes go down to learn how to you know have an eating disorder kind of thing like there's a lot of danger in a lot of the stuff and I know social media platforms have made a big effort in order to really trim back on that or be aware of that and conscious of that. But I think you can find out so much information and a lot of it is very unhealthy. So I do think it's still kind of alive and well.
0: Yeah. And it's all a business. So Mm -hmm. it's all a lie. It's all marketing. And it's all based on these outdated health metrics. And it's really just manipulation. And the diet industry definitely affects everyone. Carolyn and I have talked about how it's not just women, how we actually see this with a lot of men too. But historically, if we look at the stats, it is more targeted at girls and women Mm -hmm. at higher rates. There's an estimate that six out of 10 girls or women actually opt out of certain daily activities, including like socializing or talking in public and things like that due to poor body image, which is a direct effect that diet culture has had on us. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really interesting
1: one. And I think one that probably a lot of us could relate to even going to an all girls private school. I think I I could relate to that too. Catholic school, it was like still this fear of of speaking up and being seen. And that is definitely, you know, probably rooted in diet culture
0: too. Totally. So let's go through, we're going to go through some specific things that diet culture has done to us. And then we're going to talk through what we can actually do and how we can change the narrative here a bit.
1: Yeah. So the first problem with diet culture is that it tells us exactly how we're supposed to look. Diet culture really sets our standard of beauty. If you think of magazines, historically, all having women who looked maybe in 15, 20 years ago, like Kate Moss on the cover. And then as that's changed into maybe more of like a Kardashian look, but it really, really has informed how we're supposed to look and what the body goal should be. Of course, like celebrity culture as well, their job is to look a certain way and to have their best, whatever their best body is for roles and things like that. And that's just not realistic to be comparing ourselves to. So taking that into consideration too, when you see any photos, whether it's in a magazine or on social media, like the apps and filtering and video filtering that can take place, Danae Mercer, is that how you say her name? I always her- say Dana. Am I so wrong? Dana, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, you guys can, can check her out on Instagram. She does a good job of highlighting exactly how these filtration, filter systems, so made me think of water filtration, which is completely different, but filtering, as Marissa's, of course, <laughs> sipping water. She's our water queen. Danae, D- Dana whichever you want to call her, does a really, really awesome job of showing before and afters, and just being realistic too. And nobody's posting, you know, the less flattering photo of themselves. So always taking that with a grain of salt too, and being really aware as you're scrolling through of like, is this helpful or hurtful for me? And we're going to get into the whole.
0: And other. I think that was something that years ago was so much worse because we only had magazines and TV, right, where they were literally showing one specific standard of beauty. And there's an estimate that only five percent of the population actually looks like what we are seeing on TV. Now, I think social media has opened up a new lens. And as we've grown into this more like anti-diet culture world, we are seeing some body diversity, but you have to look for it, right? It's yeah. still not automatic. Yes, some, you know, magazines are doing a better job. But if we still look at Hollywood as a whole, there is more of like one size, one race going on. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. And like, think back even to some of the shows that we saw, um, like Simple Life, for example, is like a really helpful example that we considered Nicole Richie. She was considered fat on that. Like, I always think of
0: what's the movie? Love Actually is one of my favorite movies. And they talk about Natalie being like the bigger girl all the time. Like, it's so crazy. This first of all, why are we talking about it? Why is that important Mm -hmm. to their character? Right. But also the standards we are using are so off. Mhm
1: yeah absolutely um and even like Lindsay Lohan and they they're like she let herself go was a quote i feel like that was used a lot and it's like bodies change they're meant to change and we don't always have to be picture perfect you know to leave the house for coffee or we shouldn't have to be anyway and so i think it is also as a challenge i would imagine big time for that world as well totally Something I think is really important is also on the diversity note that um, Marissa just mentioned too. This is something that Q and I actually talk a lot about being with someone who's not a white man. A lot of his black and brown friends are with white women. And is this informed by cultural standards of beauty? Like, it's hard to say unequivocally, but I'd guess that for some, this is what they've been seeing as beautiful. And so it could literally end up impacting generations. And there's a lot to unpack there, but it's a really, really interesting way to think about it of like, okay, if we're seeing this as beautiful, that's going to end up impacting who you want to be with.
0: Yeah, actually, on that note, I had a client situation yesterday that really goes along with this. And one of my clients, she's a black woman, and she was actually in Dubai for the week with some of her friends. And I asked her, how was she feeling body image wise well away? Because vacation can bring up a lot of things, getting dressed and going out and all these things. And she was saying how being in the Middle East and being around all of these different standards of beauty there, not just the white woman, she felt amazing. And she felt like the best she had felt in her body in so long. And she was saying that she was at this party and all dressed up. And it was so nice for her to look around and to see bodies that actually looked like hers. Mm -hmm. And to see women with the same color skin being touted as beautiful and all of these things. And it was just such a strong kind of connection that she made. She was like, I was surrounded by different people and it really affected how I felt in my skin. So really like what we are seeing can have such a strong effect on how we feel about ourselves. And I kind of said to her, you know, I want you to take that Dubai version of yourself and bring that into the other room, like bring that into, you know, rooms that you sit in today. Cause remembering her body didn't change on that trip. <laughs> yeah, Nothing was different. She actually, you know, you're traveling, like we're eating differently and not always going to the bathroom mm-hmm. as much. If anything, physically, she wasn't feeling as great as she normally does, but mentally she felt so much more comfortable. Wow. And if you can take that situation and actually like remind yourself, nothing's changing. I can impart that confidence on myself anywhere. It's really powerful. Wow, that is such a
1: great example. And I'm so proud of her. Yeah, really. And confidence is about comes from the inside out, I think is is the is a great point there to end on too. And so it's about what's in your head and not about your body. Uh, so we we'll get can to that until we are blue in the <laughs> <laughs> you can go back and listen to some of our old body image episodes from season one two. those are our most popular episodes we've had. Yeah. Uh-huh. So the next problem with diet culture is it tells us exactly how we're supposed to eat giving no, you know, consideration to your culture or to your preferences. We see this big time with those what I eat in a day videos on social media and the problem with that really is that it doesn't take into consideration that this might not be what you should eat in a day. Sometimes they can be inspirational, but they also are not taking into consideration any of your personal preferences, what your body actually needs. And they can definitely be a sort of gateway to disordered eating to try to eat like somebody else. There also are all of those Us Weekly magazines. that's still ongoing, and maybe we just pick them up a whole lot less. But it's really easy to search what the 20 celebs with the flattest abs eat every day. And this is coming in 2023. So this isn't just something we left behind in the past. People are still really, really trying to search for what someone who's a thin-looking person is eating and at the end of the day we could all eat the
0: same things and we could exercise the same amounts and our bodies are going to look different. I vividly remember reading in one of those us weekly magazines my mom would get all those trashy magazines and I remember reading one and I can't remember I think it was Eva Longoria's like what I eat in a day mm-hmm. and she like drank whole milk lattes and I all of a sudden went on this like whole milk kick being like oh I need to add this in like she's so beautiful she's on Desperate Housewives so like yeah oh, and like there's no context there.
1: Right? There's no context, and also it's just so interesting that then they're not a nutrition expert; they're literally a celebrity, and we're like, oh, okay, if she does it. Then, and it's funny because you kind of look like you <laughs> Not that I'm looking at you. <laughs> Thank you, you so too. much. Yeah, you're very <laughs> welcome. It's like, yeah, she's she's <laughs> stunning, and also like, of course, then you would kind of try to eat like the people who look like you, but are aspirational well, too.
0: You've also said this before when we talked about these, Carolyn. But like, I was a 13 year old girl. Wow. She was 30 something. Why? Like I don't need the same things as yeah. her, right? Yeah. But we miss all that context. So, yes, diet culture has definitely told us how to eat, mm-hmm. not just what. Next up, we have diet culture has scared us away from food. This actually one is the one that has bothered me the most because I think food is more than just fuel, right? At its basic biology level, yes, food is fuel, right? It's protein, it's fat, it's carbs, it's energy. It's how we power through our day, it's how our cells work. But it's also social. It's emotional, it's cultural, it's all of these important connections to food that diet culture has kind of robbed us of, Mm -hmm. right? We've seen diet culture demonizing macronutrients. So with the Atkins and the keto phase, we're all of a sudden really scared of carbs. With the Noom and MyFitnessPal, we're terrified of calories. So all of these fad diets have kind of like stripped away the like wholeness and the synergistic Mm -hmm. effect of food and instead made us really hyper fixated on certain things, which leads to stress and then leads to decreased enjoyment. It can lead to actually worse digestion in a meal when you're stressed out and you're eating something. It could lead to intense feelings of guilt about something. So overall, it's just scared us about food. I think about with Weight Watchers too, who now has so brilliantly tried to brand themselves as WW. And I was actually talking to a client the other day and I referred to them as WW. And I was like, oh my God, their marketing is good. The fact that I can Mm. even change what I call them, but they are Weight Watchers. They will always be Weight Watchers. The point system there, that is ingrained in people's heads. I cannot tell you, and I'm sure you have similar experiences, Carolyn. I've probably worked with hundreds of clients at this point Mm. who have had Weight Watchers in their life at some point in time. And it's hard to let go of that Mm -hmm. point system. It's hard to not see foods as just a number. And how can you enjoy a slice of pizza when you're thinking about the 15 points that it's taking?
1: Yeah. And our bodies are not calculators. It doesn't work like that. So just keeping that in mind too, like your body is, I always think of it as a chemistry experiment, not a calculator, like different, it's going to have different needs on different days. And the number calculation damage is yeah. A lot been well with a lot of people who like to do calorie counting. I mean, there's a lot of ways that it shows up. Macros is sort of the rebrand on on some of this too.
0: Yeah. And I think about things like slim fast or lean cuisine or any of those like low calorie meal replacements. Not only have they scared us away from calories, which are energy, but they've starved us of nutrition of like Mm -hmm. real health. I lived on those hot pockets when I was in my disordered eating phase in like seventh and eighth grade, because they were low calorie. And I was like, Oh, I could have 250 calories for a meal. Amazing. But I was also devoid of nutrients. And I was definitely never satisfied. And so, not only are they scaring us from things, but they're actually stripping us of real nutrition.
1: That reminds me of like the Special K diet too. When you did, I did you that. I oh. to eat Special K breakfast, lunch, and then have the bars as the snack, and then maybe like a light soup for dinner. And um, it's so funny,
0: like knowing what we know now. Right back then, I didn't know as much. Right, and I was like, "Oh, this must work." It says it mm-hmm. does on the back of the cereal box. But knowing what we know now, like. I was just eating sugar all day in the morning. (laughs) Like, it's so silly. So diet culture, it scared us from food. It's taken away nutrition and it's really taken away enjoyment.
1: Totally. And the last thing on that too, is like with it scaring us away from certain nutrients, like we tend to see now that that leads to major binge eating. If you're completely restricting carbs, then you're probably really going to overeat sugar around your period. Even if you're very like quote unquote disciplined, it
0: does end up happening. So it leads to that restrict binge cycle for so, so many women and men. Another thing that diet culture has done is it's taught us that the scale dictates our self-worth. Your gene size dictates your self-worth. This indication that if you are a certain size, you are more worthy. And don't forget, we talked about this in our scale episode, but the scale only became a thing in the last a hundred years. And it was had to do with like insurance companies and reimbursement things that people started checking their weight. But the fact that so many women and men also step on this one little machine and let it indicate how worthy we are for the day, how good of a person we are is actually insane. hmm yeah. I do a lot of work with clients on separating your self-worth from your body size. A lot of times we see this come up if you identified as like one specific body growing up, like maybe you were a really like linky teen or something and everyone was always commenting on it. And then all of a sudden you go through puberty and your body changes as all of us are meant to. And people can really struggle with their self-worth as you go through changes. So I work with clients a lot on like separating your worth from just a specific body size and really being clear on who is your identity outside of just, okay, the skinny girl, Mm. right? Who are you? Are you a friend? Are you a mother? Are you caring? Are you compassionate? What's your job? What are those things? And we want to work on building up your identity in all of these other ways so that you can build that self-esteem and that worth without just letting the scale dictate that.
1: That's so good. And a tool I use for that with clients as well is to actually ask like two or three people around them for Mm. a handful of things that they love about you. And it never has anything to do with what you look like. It's that you are kind and compassionate and generous and thoughtful and super smart about X, Y, Z. And so sometimes keeping that list in the notes section of your phone it might feel really hard to ask for, but people want to tell you what they love about you. If they're good, you know, healthy friendships and relationships. <laughs> and if they're not, maybe we should reevaluate. <laughs> yeah, that's for another day. Um, okay, next up diet culture promotes weight cycling, AKA yo-yo dieting. If you look at any magazine, and even today, this is true too. pages, you know, 20 to 25 will include how to lose inches, how to eat like X, Y, Z celebrity, and then a cake recipe. And so it's, it's really confusing. What's, what's right. What are you supposed to be doing? And within that really sets you up to be yo-yo dieting, restricting, and then binges, binging. And so this sets you up overall to fail.
0: A hundred percent.
1: Next up, diet culture promotes low self-esteem and poor body image. And so when you think about this, if you always need to be fixing something or if you always need the latest supplement that, you know, we're being nonstop targeted ads on Instagram or to like suck in in this way, or now you're supposed to have curves like a Kardashian sister, like you will never, ever, ever be able to get it right. So it's always going to leave us in a state of poor body image, low self-esteem and wanting to change, wanting to fix ourselves.
0: And I think COVID actually re triggered this for a lot of people. I saw this all with clients, right? You know, the world changed during COVID. And for a lot of us, so did our bodies, right? We weren't moving around as much. We weren't commuting. We really didn't have that much to spark joy except the food we were eating. So it did lead to a lot of shifts in weight for a lot of people. And this kind of triggered this. Okay. Like we gained some weight and now we want to come out of COVID. And We haven't seen people in a while and it actually created this like really poor body image for a lot of people getting used to going back into the office and getting dressed every day again and all of these. I'm curious if you've seen that at all with your clients too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it also created a culture where people were drinking a whole lot more, or and doing things that are healthy, but like maybe baking a ton of bread, picking up new habits too. And in some ways, that was great to get people cooking more and more hands on their food. And in other ways, I think when you were compare and despair, sitting you know on your phone in your tiny apartment, looking at all these people that were in Greece or wherever they probably were yeah. shut down too. But you know, looking at people having these amazing experiences, it definitely led to further self-esteem issues that compare and despair
0: that is really, really brutal on, on your overall mental wellness. And also like, be nice to yourself. We just mm. got through like a world pandemic. like, The world shifted upside down. Yeah. And if you're lucky enough to have gotten through it and your family is safe and whatever, and the worst thing that happens is you gained a couple of pounds. I'm not saying you don't have the autonomy to not feel comfortable and to want to make a change there. But being mean to yourself is never going to help you make that change. And diet culture, you know, they capitalized on that. Mm-hmm. Lose the quarantine 15. Like, it's an industry. You know, they know what they're doing and they're making money off of you.
1: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Feeling and bad about that, yourself. Essentially. Yeah, exactly. They are making money off of you, feeling bad about yourself and targeting you with ads. I mean, they're using all sorts of AI technology to know exactly what will sort of hook you as well. So it is sort of in in some ways, maybe an empowering thing that you get to decide what information comes in. So on that note, let's talk a little bit about what you can do when it comes to diet culture and how you can really protect yourself. The first thing is to really separate your self-worth from your weight. And this is easier said than done, but we have a lot of podcast episodes, especially those body image ones we talked about in the first season, but really a great general prompt is what is your identity outside of your body? who are you? Who are you really? What are the things that light you up? What do you love? And Marissa and I both work with journal prompts a lot with clients for conversation starters and just further in depth, inquiry, sort of using your own wisdom. And often we're just powering through our day and not really reflecting as much as we could be. It's such a helpful tool to get curious about where these thoughts and patterns started.
0: And so that can be really, really beneficial. That's my favorite kind of client homework. And then mm-hmm. with a journal prompt that we can discuss next week, but about something that came up. And if you guys are curious, maybe we can share a few of our favorite ones. We with love that. episode.
1: Yeah. Next up, working on body neutrality. So, this is helpful because we don't just jump from like hating our bodies or really being overly critical to body love. There's a lot of space in between there. And so, we want to work on getting you to more of a neutral space. And a great way to do that is focus on what your body does instead of how it looks. So, my legs are so strong, they help me walk to to work or to whatever, catch up with my friends, my arms. I'm so grateful for them for being able to pick up my nephew or niece or child. Anything like that, I think can be really, really helpful and focus on a couple of things you do actually love about yourself versus just what the things that you hate. For some people, that's their smile. That's their eyes. That could be the, your toes. It can be anything. Sometimes it is good to just focus on like, okay, I do have this one thing about myself I do really love. So when you start to get into a spiral, you can work back to that a process I use also with a lot of clients is what i would consider a state change and it's something really good for your nervous system if you're having if you're in a state of panic and so a good one for that is to either grab an ice cube and hold an ice cube in both hands so it just kind of shocks your system into like a different state mm. also can be putting your face in a ice water bath that can really really help for a couple of seconds and do it three times and that can help vagus nerve-wise it can just help re-regulate your nervous system if you're in a state of panic or in a spiral another thing I do too is just get outside get some fresh air, open all the windows in your house or your office, if you have some. And just that, again, state change of change of scenery and get you out of your head for a second can work wonders
0: if you're finding yourself in a body spiral. I also think one note on the body neutrality is that this one really, the body positivity seems to be directed more at women. No one's telling men that they need to love their bodies, (sighs) right? And I was having this conversation actually with a client the other day it's okay. You don't have to love what you look like and you don't have to be obsessed with everything on your body, but you do need to find a way to respect it and you need Mm -hmm. to find a way to live with it. And you need to find a way to appreciate it enough that you can move on with your day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Then we love to talk about healing your relationship
1: with food. So getting to the root of these issues. And that's something that you can work with Marissa or me on and lots of other great practitioners too, that if you want to work with someone in person are worth searching for it, like notice when you demonize things or when you demonize or judge people too, just starting to track that with yourself of like, whoa, what was that about? What? Why did that just like trigger me? Or why did Mm -hmm. that come up when I saw that person walking by eating ice cream? It's really up to you to do the work on this for yourself. And of course, with some support as needed. And in my opinion, that's like very empowering too, that it's up to you to change this, to heal your own relationship with food, to heal your relationship with your body, and to be able to spot and recognize diet culture so that you can walk through the world sort of in like an empowered fully owning every decision you're making when it comes to your body and when it comes to food. And recognize
0: how diet culture has shaped your thoughts, right? Recognize Mm -hmm. that if you see someone on the street and you have a judgment about what they must be doing or not doing or this or that, I always use these words with clients, but you do not know her story. Mm -hmm. When you see someone on the street and you have a judgment about their body, remind yourself of that. Diet culture has taught us that if someone looks a certain way, they must be doing a certain thing or following this or not doing that, right? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, you have no idea about someone else's body. I always make the joke with clients that, Carolyn and myself, right? Your nutritionist is probably as close as we get to understanding your full story with food in your body. But we know what our clients tell us. And unless you lived in a studio apartment with a partner during COVID and ate every single thing together and had nowhere else to go, you probably don't know what is really fully going on with someone else and food. So don't assume that you do. Yeah. Such an important point.
1: And clients will also come in and say like, my sister eats this, this, and this, she can eat anything. And she looks like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, you know, sort of in a jealous way. And my thought with that is always like, everyone's dealing with their own demons, their own stuff. That's really hard. And if it's not food for someone in your life, unfortunately, I can pretty much guarantee that there's only something else that's in that space persons are in that place. So just always having some kindness and compassion. And yeah, like Marissa said, you never know what's going on for them food-wise, genetically, physiologically, all of those things. Okay. Another thing you could do to avoid or escape diet culture is to start spotting it on social media. Start even like laughing about it. Unfollow things. Um, have social media free time. Get out into the world and off of our devices. Thank God I, the pandemic is finally officially over. I just got that exposure notifications turned off this morning oh my <laughs> uh, God. An alert. About that, which I'm like okay, we're free, we're good. Finally. So anyway, get back outside as much as you can and into the world and into real in-person interactions, building community
0: is so so helpful. And a few more for you guys. We want you to heal also, not just your relationship with your body, but heal your relationship with nutrition. And what I mean by this is that so many of us who have been reamed by diet culture and been through the ringer on fad diets actually can have a really negative view of the way we view nutrition. And sometimes we see this with Carolyn and I have both kind of shared our thoughts on why we're not 100% intuitive eating and why we kind of lean into that word mindful eating and what that actually means to us a little bit more. But I had a client come in the other day and we just started working together and she has had a lot going on nutrition wise, has struggled with restrictions, struggled with binging. She's gotten weight loss surgery. She's been to other nutritionists before. And she was sent to me by her therapist and we were going through all of this. And before I gave her any sort of recommendations or things like that, I kind of looked at her and I was like, how do you feel about nutrition? Like we've talked about how you feel about your body, but like, how do you feel if I were to make a recommendation of something you were, you know, that would be a good idea for breakfast or a snack or this or that, like, where do you stand? And she looked at me and she like kind of laughed a little bit. And she's like, I'm honestly a little bit skeptical. She's like, you hear so much information. There's so much going on, do this, don't do that. And I was like, I appreciate you sharing that with me. Like it's important for me to know that that's where you're starting, but we're also going to change this. Like I view nutrition as this, like it should never be a stressor, but it should be a source of empowerment. Like Mm -hmm. it is so freaking cool that you get to maybe like help yourself feel better or be healthier or live longer or have more energy or affect your hormones or this or that through the food we're eating. Now, obviously it's one piece of the puzzle. There's so much we have to do, but I think diet culture is also stolen. Maybe we could add this, right? I said it took away nutrients from us with the whole like isolating macronutrients and hating on them, but it's taken away like the ability for some people to like look at nutrition in a positive light. And I mm-hmm. think that's so sad.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. Such a good point. And it, it brings up to me that it's like, it's taken up so much of our brain space. Like it's yeah. actually, when we think about what it's stolen, it's stolen our ability to like focus on other things and do what we're out here on this planet to do put into action versus like, I think about if we were to take all of the energy we spend or historically have spent counting calories, counting macros, counting, whatever, and put it into action, like women would be so freaking powerful, but instead it's really held us captive.
0: Yeah. Totally. So thinking about not just healing your relationship with your body, but also with nutrition, how you view it. Does it feel really negative? Ask yourself some of these questions. And if you're struggling with it, work with someone, we can help you through this. Mm -hmm. The next thing is helping to find non-attachment. So I kind of mentioned this when we talked about our identity to being a certain body size, but Being super attached to an identity driven only by the size of your body can be really harmful, especially as women who are meant to change. I always say this to my clients I hope your body continues to change. I hope you get pregnant if you want to and go through postpartum. And I hope you live through menopause and go through the changes that that makes. Naturally, as women, our bodies are meant to change with these different phases in our life. And if you are so attached to being this one thing, this one size, you might get to miss out on enjoying all of those other Mm -hmm. phases of life. Next up, we could say, focus on all those things that actually make you feel good in your body. We were talking about giving our clients like lists of things. This is a list that I make every client keep on their notes after their phone. What are the things that actually Mm -hmm. make you feel good? And everyone's list is actually really different. That's why I love whenever I work with someone, I always just pose a question first and I don't give ideas till later. You want to actually see what comes up for someone. Mm -hmm. Some clients will take this and be like, A really nourishing home cooked meal. Like some people will say putting on comfy clothes. Some people will say buying a new outfit that I feel really awesome. in. some people say, you know, moving my body in a way that feels good. Other people will be like, actually getting myself to the gym on a day I don't want to and sweating it out, you know, so it's different for all of us. But focus on the things that actually feel good in your body. And if you struggle with this, when you are having a good day, write it down. What'd you do today? What actually can you learn from that situation? And lastly, this one is so important, but surround yourself with people who have a healthy body image and who don't talk about food or people's bodies or other people in general. Mm -hmm. People's conversations and what they comment on always is a bigger reflection on what's going on with them versus what's going on with you. I always, oh my God, I'd like to publicly apologize for the amount I used to talk about food and my body and obsessed and whatever, but that can really take a toll on other people's body image. And if you're surrounded by friends, I think about the mean girl scenario. I know we've mentioned it before, but where they're all criticizing themselves in the mirror and it comes so easily to them. And then Katie Heron is like standing there and she like doesn't know how to criticize herself because she's been living in Africa with like animals Mm -hmm. for the past 15 years. So really just think about that and think about if you have a friend who's really weighing on you in this, either can you set a boundary with them and be like, look, I love you. But it really is not great for me to talk about these things. Like, can we talk about anything else? Can you try to change the conversation? I always say, don't give oxygen or like don't water Mm -hmm. a plant that you don't want to grow. So if it's a conversation you don't enjoy, don't Mm -hmm. be interested in it. Don't add to it. Eventually people pick up on some of that stuff.
1: Yeah. And I love the idea of having
0: some conversation changers or things in your back pocket
1: of like, Oh, I'm excited to go on this vacation or, you know, some prompts for questions in your back pocket is a really, really helpful tool for getting yourself out of those. If it doesn't feel appropriate or comfortable for you to be direct, but that boundary setting goes a really long way. And I think it's really, really important for all women to learn how to do that and to practice that too. Yeah. Wow. So what a good episode! It's a juicy one. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Don't forget to share, rate, subscribe, do all the things. We really appreciate it. How it, with this little, little podcast has been supported, and is we hit 50k,
0: 50,000 downloads. Which, like, what? That's really my brother in law cool. the other day when I was home. He was, he, I guess, he said to my sister, He was like, What do they get like 500 listens on each episode? And I was like, AJ. We just hit 50,000 downloads. So it's not just our little podcast anymore. We're really getting our voice out there and that means so much to us. So Mm -hmm. thank you for listening and thank you for being here. And as always, we're open to your tips and things you want us to talk about. All of these episodes this season so far have been on things that people have asked us questions about. So please do not feel scared to DM us, email us, do whatever it is, but we want to hear from you guys. Mm -hmm. And we hope you have a gorgeous week. Yes, have a great day. Goodbye.